Before we start today's show, I wanted to say a huge thank you to Florence and MT, two of our latest $5 subscribers to the Case Remains podcast. If you'd like to support the show in return for stickers, exclusive polls and bonus episodes, you'll find a link in the description where you can do so for as little as $3 a month. Now, on with the episode. When Thomas Burgill took a call one morning in May, the person on the other end would change his life forever. He had to pay up to save his wife, and he only had two hours to do it. This is The Case Remains Podcast, episode 42, The Unsolved Murder of Maria Burgle. In southwest Germany, just a few miles away from the Bavarian border, Heidenheim is the kind of small, quaint town that's fairly typical of the region. There's a tidy pedestrian zone lined with modern shops and restaurants housed in old-fashioned buildings. There's a castle up on a hill where visitors spend weekends exploring its walls. It's a place that many would think of as an ideal area to lay down roots and maybe raise a family. Such was the case for Thomas and Maria Burgel, a couple in their 50s who had moved to Heidenheim from Herriden about an hour's drive away. They had been married for 30 years and had two grown-up children, Karina and Christoph, both in their mid-twenties. Maria worked as a special education teacher, while Thomas was the chairman of the board of Sparkasse Baden-Württemberg, a major German bank with branches all over the county. His position afforded the Burgles a comfortable standard of living. They had a beautiful house that they'd built in the rural community of Schnettheim and drove expensive cars, but they remained grounded in spite of their wealth. Instead of trips to far-flung places, they would spend their holidays hiking in Austria and would help to feed the homeless at the Heidenheim Vesper Church. Maria and Thomas were well-liked by their neighbours, described as polite and friendly people who made a real effort to be part of the community. Living a quiet life in a quiet German town, they never could have imagined the tragedy that lay ahead. On May 12, 2010, at 11.23 in the morning, Thomas was in Niederstotzingen, a small town just 10 miles from Heidenheim. He was at the town hall for a meeting with his friend and mayor of the town, Gerhard Kieninger. The pair were sat in his office when Thomas's phone rang, and when he answered, the man on the other end of the line identified himself as Schmidt. He told Thomas that he had kidnapped Maria and demanded a payment of €300,000 by 1pm that day. He told Thomas what denominations the money should be in, and instructed him to put the money in a blue bin bag. He was to drive north up the A7, a busy nearby autobahn, until he saw a German flag on the roadside. When he saw the flag, he was to throw the bag of money out of his car. Then, the man on the phone handed it to Maria, so Thomas could be sure he wasn't joking. She told him that she had a knife held to her neck. Thomas pleaded with Schmidt to give him more time, insisting that it wasn't possible to obtain such a large amount of money in just an hour and a half. 
Schmidt agreed, giving him a new deadline of 2pm that day. When Thomas hung up the phone, Mayor Keeninger urged him to call the police immediately, and they shortly arrived at the town hall. Once there, the police decided that the best course of action was to go along with the kidnapper's demands and give him the money he had asked for. In kidnapping situations, the German police would usually get the ransom money themselves from the Bundesbank, which is a federal bank owned by the state. But for some reason, allegedly on Thomas's suggestion, on this occasion they decided to get the money from the town of Niederstotzingen, where Thomas was when he received the call. To protect his identity, they asked for the money on the pretext that a last-minute loan was needed for a municipal project. They asked for the money at both Kreisbarkasse Heidenheim, where Thomas worked, and the local bank, but neither branch had the money in the unusual and specific denominations that the kidnapper had demanded. After that, the police decided to try the Bundesbank. The nearest Bundesbank branch was in Ulm, a city around half an hour's drive away. At 12.45pm, more than an hour after the kidnapper's call, two employees of Kreischbarkasse Heidenheim were sent, without police, to drive to Ulm and pick up the money. They arrived at 1.15pm, just 45 minutes before the allocated drop-off time. Time was already of the essence, but as they were about to discover the police had made a fatal error. Unbelievably, they hadn't given the bank a time that they were coming, and as a result, the bank had closed for lunch, just like they did every day at 1pm. As the Bundesbank workers had also been told that the money was for a loan for the town, they had no idea that a woman's life was at stake. No one could reach a Bundesbank employee and the staff that had been sent to pick up €300,000 waited outside the doors until 1.45. They finally got the money they needed, 15 minutes before it was supposed to be dropped off. Though the police knew that the money collection was running late, they had insisted that Thomas wait at the Niederstotzingen town hall. So the staff who had collected the money had to come back to Niederstotzingen before he could set off to the drop-off point. Had police taken Thomas to the next closest autobahn entrance, they would have at least shortened the journey by ten minutes. They had, however, made attempts to locate Maria and her kidnapper. By tracing her phone, police were able to determine that Maria was just 500 metres north of the drop-off location in a forested area. They sent officers to check the location every five minutes, while others went through the surrounding forest disguised as cyclists. Other units occupied nearby communities to keep an eye out for Maria. But despite the small radius of the search area, no one saw a thing. Meanwhile, Thomas had repeatedly tried to call his wife with no response. A police report would later show that they had tried to convince Thomas to go to the drop-off point with only some of the money and a message for the kidnapper, which he had refused to do. The pickup staff arrived back at the town hall at 2.20pm with the money. Already 20 minutes late, Thomas was desperate to get out of the door. 
but for reasons unknown, the police didn't allow him to leave for another 40 minutes. Thomas raced towards the motorway, throwing down the bag of money in the designated spot at 3.27pm, one and a half hours after his deadline. But then there was nothing. The money was not picked up and Thomas received no more phone calls. As the afternoon turned into evening with no sign of Maria, he had to face the stark reality that his wife of 30 years wasn't coming home. The following day, police began a search of the area around the drop-off points, looking for clues or any sign of Maria. It wasn't until the next day, May 14th, that they made two key discoveries. The first was Maria's mobile phone, found in the forest off the autobahn. The second was Maria's car, parked in the courtyard of the Neresheim Monastery, around 12 miles from the Burgle home. According to some reports, traces of Maria's blood was found on the passenger seat. The spot where her car had been left was an unusual one. Not only is it a popular spot for visitors, but parking is also prohibited, greatly increasing the risk of the perpetrator being noticed. There were a few early leads in the case, including the arrest of a 44-year-old man, though he was quickly released after police found they had been given false information. Aside from Maria's phone and car, there was no evidence to be found, and by May 16th, a special task force was formed to get to the bottom of the crime. In an attempt to spread awareness of the crime and urge witnesses to come forward, a couple of days later, Thomas and his two children made an appearance on Aktenzeichen XY, a popular German crime show that has been on the air since 1967. That night, over six million people tuned in, the highest audience numbers the show has ever seen, to watch the Burgle family's tearful plea for Maria's safe return. But unfortunately, the family's appearance didn't have the desired effect. Though the show garnered 1,000 tips, some viewers began to question the family's involvement, saying that their grief didn't come across as sincere. On the internet, in the newspapers and on the streets of Heidenheim, rumours began to spread that all was not as it seemed. Many claimed that Thomas and Maria's marriage was not a happy one, with some even saying that Thomas had recently had a child with another woman. Many of these rumours were even repeated in the national press, despite there being no evidence that any of them were based in fact. Meanwhile, the police's special task force was working to try and figure out the events of the morning of May 12th. From clues found at the scene, it was clear that Maria had been kidnapped from her home. There were signs of a struggle inside the living room, with marks on the floor along with one of Maria's shoes and her other shoe found on top of the piano. The kidnapper had then taken Maria into the garage where they had gotten her Mercedes and driven away. Curiously, though, there were no signs of forced entry, and only Maria, Thomas, their son Christoph, and their housekeeper had keys to the home. Though there was a spare key hidden in an artificial stone in the garage, only the family and one of the daughter Karina's friends knew of its existence.
Though police have never figured out how the perpetrator got inside, they've theorised that he may have pretended to be a delivery man. The police and other officials differed in their interpretation of the crime. The police believed that the kidnapper, or more likely kidnappers, had been watching the family for some time and had planned the crime down to a T. But Frank Rosalieb, an expert in kidnapping from the Kiel Institute for Crisis Research, believed that it was a lone perpetrator. There were also some anomalies in the case that led him to believe it was not a professional job. Firstly, there was the relatively low ransom amount of €300,000. Then there was the fact that there was a very short time between the actual kidnapping and the call requesting money. The fact that the kidnapper allowed Maria to talk to Thomas on the phone was also highly unusual. Rosalie believed that the kidnapper had nowhere to hide Maria and had requested a low amount of money because he'd hoped to get it quickly. Upon realising that the money handover hadn't happened, the perpetrator may have felt like he had no choice but to kill Maria as she was in a position to expose him. Rosalieb even theorised that perhaps the kidnapper was a customer of Thomas's bank who was out to get some kind of revenge. Whoever the perpetrator was, Rosalieb felt certain he was local. This was supported by the short distance between the burgle's home and the drop-off point, as well as the fact that Thomas had said the kidnapper had a Swabian dialect. Whatever the real circumstances of the kidnapping, with no sign of Maria, the police didn't have much to work with. But it wouldn't be long until she was found, and the case turned from one of kidnap to murder. On June the 3rd, three weeks after Maria had been kidnapped, a dog walker stumbled across her body covered in branches in the forest. The mother of two had been stabbed to death and was found less than a mile away from the money drop-off point. But in yet another police mishap, the area where Maria's body was found had already been searched in the days following her kidnap. Even though it was so close to where her phone was found, police had decided to do so without the aid of sniffer dogs. By the time her body was discovered, time and rainfall had destroyed valuable evidence that may have provided a link to her killer. A pathologist later concluded that Maria had likely died on the day she was kidnapped based on the food that was found in her stomach. With no evidence to suggest that the body had been moved, it looked as though police had simply overlooked it on their previous searches of the area. After Maria's body was found, progress in the investigation was slow. Though the police had received many leads from the broadcast of Aktenzeichen XY, none of them led to anything concrete. All the while, rumours were still swirling that Thomas may have played a part in his wife's death. In the aftermath of Maria's murder, Thomas began to suffer from depression. At home, he kept the shutters down not just for security, but because he couldn't bear to see the garden that Maria had spent so much time tending to. And still, the rumours about Thomas's involvement persisted. When he went to stay with his sister, he was accused of having moved in with his lover. At one point, a newspaper even falsely reported that Thomas was in custody for his wife's murder. 
Thomas had been to see the doctor twice and had been put on medication, but in the end, the stress of his ordeal proved too much to bear. As the one-year anniversary of Maria's death approached, Thomas was no longer able to cope with his duties at work and had made arrangements with Sparkassa to mutually end his employment. On July 11th, 2011, the Burgle's housekeeper let herself into their home to find him dead in the gym. Thomas had committed suicide. He left behind two notes, written on paper that he'd torn out of a pad. One was his will, the other was a letter to his children, Karina and Christoph. In Thomas's obituary notice, they wrote that he could no longer bear the loss of his beloved wife, the unsuccessful police investigations, the unspeakable slander and the final farewell to his job. For reasons that the family chose not to disclose, Thomas was not buried alongside Maria in Heidenheim, but instead was laid to rest in Herriden, where the couple had previously lived. Shortly after Thomas's death, Karina and Christoph gave an interview to the German news magazine Stern, publicly criticising the police for the way they'd handled their mother's case. They accused them of neglecting to collect vital information from their home until months after the murder, including evidence from the garage where Maria had been driven away in her car. During the interview, they also revealed that the police had bugged their phones and at a time had even suspected Christoph and Karina's boyfriend of having something to do with the kidnapping. However, this was yet another mistake. The police were working on the basis of phone records that suggested that Christoph and Karina's boyfriend had made a phone call to someone in Thomas and Maria's house around a week before the kidnapping, at a time when neither Thomas or Maria were home. After discovering that Christoph had also deleted the list of calls on his phone, police suspected that he and Karina's boyfriend had been conspiring with the kidnapper to carry out the crime. As it turned out, there had been a voltage drop in Heidenheim a few days before Maria was kidnapped, causing the burglar's telephone system to switch off and set the timestamp back to zero. As a result, all the registered calls had been made at a completely different time than what the record suggested. The police, however, were working with some solid evidence. They'd managed to find some DNA in Maria's car that they suspected belonged to the killer. By 2012, two years after the murder, more than 3,000 men had volunteered to provide a DNA sample, while others had been made to do so by police. Unfortunately, they were yet to find a match. In September of that year, and with no further movement in the case, police made another appeal through the television show Acton Zeichnecks Why, the same show that the Burgles had appeared on in the days following Maria's kidnap. As part of a 30-minute segment on the case, the longest the programme had ever broadcast, police highlighted an internet portal called BKMS. This system was originally designed so that whistleblowers could report incidents of business corruption under the safety of anonymity. The authorities had decided to offer it up as a way to give tips in Maria's murder, giving a way for people to provide clues without having to identify themselves to the police. 
At first, their plan seemed to have worked. Soon after the broadcast, a man gave information about Maria's murder through the portal. The man, who called himself Tom, provided photos supposedly showing Maria and her kidnapper shortly before the crime, threatening to destroy the images if the police didn't pay him money. Using his friend Joseph as a kind of middleman, Tom continued to provide inside tips and evidence over the following seven months. He gave the names of three suspects along with their photos and addresses, saying that he'd driven them to a nearby town and that they'd talked about the crime in the car and had thrown evidence out of his window. He gave a location in a field where the murder weapon had apparently been dumped, gave the police a cigarette butt and watch that had the perpetrator's DNA, and a glove with Maria's hair and blood. For Tom's efforts, he was rewarded with money. 80 euros here, 120 euros there, eventually amassing almost 9,000 euros in rewards. The only problem was that he'd made the whole thing up. Tom and Joseph were actually the same man, 40-year-old father Luigi Rossi. When confronted, Luigi claimed that he'd been at a casino one night when he'd noticed two men acting strangely and overheard one of them asking if Mrs. Burgle's things had been disposed of. He said that he'd intended to track down the killer himself so that he could claim the big reward and that he'd made up the other clues to buy himself some time. Luigi was sentenced to three years in prison, changed to two years probation on appeal. At the sentencing, the judge told him, Remember that the police do not need self-appointed helpers, Mr. Rossi. And remember, anyone who lies once will not be believed again. And so, with plenty of time, money and resources wasted, the police carried on their search for Maria Burgle's killer. Their special task force reduced from 16 investigators to 12. In January of 2014, the police announced that they had planned another mass DNA test for the following month. Male volunteers between the ages of 21 and 68 from the town of Nerisheim were invited to come forward and provide saliva samples. The police wrote to 3,000 men fitting this profile, of which 1,300 came forward. After another letter, an additional 500 men provided a sample from another town around 20 miles away. But once again, the police were unable to find a match. The next couple of years produced little in the way of clues, aside from one suspect reported by a dubious witness. Though the suspect's house was searched, there was nothing to suggest he had anything to do with the murder. In 2015, new software was made available that investigators used to comb through more than 600,000 data records from the time of the kidnapping, including data from mobile phones. But with no hits and little progress made in the case, the special task force was officially disbanded the following year leaving a small team of investigators to try and track down the killer. Just six months later, they uncovered what appeared to be their strongest lead yet. A young man contacted police to tell them about an incident in June 2016 in Hagen, a city more than 300 miles away from Heidenheim. 
The man and a friend had been at a street crossing just after midnight when a heavily intoxicated man approached them. During their conversation, he told them that he hated the Burgel family and that he was responsible for stabbing Maria. According to later reports, he also gave other undisclosed information that was relevant to the crime. After his confession, one of the men began to record his voice on his mobile phone and then quickly notified police. But by the time they arrived, the drunk man had gone. The information prompted yet another segment on Acton Zeichen XY in early April of 2017, where they showed an e-fit of the suspect and also played the clip of his voice that the two men had recorded. In the clip, the man speaks with a Swabian accent, which matched the account that Thomas Burgle had given to police. He is telling the men about a certain kind of knife called the Jungle King 3, and says that it's the best survival knife in the world. He also talks about an apprenticeship that he completed with a company in psychological warfare, and at the end of the clip, he tells the men he's from Oschenberg. Oschenberg is in the Heidenheim district, less than five miles away from the Burgel home. While the show was still airing, tips began to come in with information about the man, with several even offering up a name. The man was fairly well known in his village as a loner who could often be spotted wearing full camouflage and spent a lot of time in the woods early in the morning. He struggled with drug and alcohol addiction and would often approach locals with confused stories, bottles of beer clinking in his backpack. It was a matter of hours before the authorities tracked him down and the suspect was arrested in Heidenheim. Though the man denied that he had anything to do with Maria's death, for a moment it seemed as though the police had finally solved this seven-year-old mystery. However, their hopes were short-lived. The man's DNA did not match the traces they retrieved from Maria's car, and he was released from custody. More than a decade has now passed since Maria Burgle was kidnapped from her home, never to be seen alive again. In a state where 98% of murders are solved, Maria's death is one that has both captivated the public and haunted the police. It's a case that's defined by a catalogue of errors and the dark cloud that lingered over those Maria loved. Today, there are two detectives in Ulm still looking into the crime. Despite the years that have passed, Lead investigator Thomas Friedrich still believes it's only a matter of time until the killer is caught. Even now, a couple of tips are called in each month, and a fresh search was carried out as recently as last year. All it takes is that one DNA match, and they will have their man. That one DNA match to finally know who killed Maria Burgle. Thank you for listening to episode 42 of the Case Remains podcast. As always, if you'd like to keep in touch, you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram with the handle Case Remains, or you can head over to caseremains.com, where you'll find write-ups on missing persons cases and unsolved mysteries. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>